1: Do you realize that God can only use truth and evidence to win people to Jesus? He can't play around with dishonesty. And so we should proclaim the truth as it is in Jesus in such a way that men and women can turn to God without fear in their lives.
2: That's Pastor Mike, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today we bring you the conclusion to From Pit to Power with Pastor Michael Oxentanko, and we hope that you enjoy it. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Tenko.
1: Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar but as for me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living has this mystery been revealed to me but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind now look at Genesis 41:16. Joseph answered Pharaoh it is not in me God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer The Hebrew here literally reads that God will answer the king or answer Pharaoh with peace. God will answer Pharaoh with peace is the Hebrew language. The Greek Old Testament translation, 2nd century, thereabouts B.C., says God will answer the king with salvation. Peace and salvation are common concepts. They are linked together. Now think about this. Prophecy is not about trouble, Prophecy is about bringing peace and salvation into your life so you can have peace of mind. That's why God gives it. God brings peace and salvation to the people who understand and obey his word. That's why prophecy is important. When we live in a day when people say, well, we don't need prophecy in the church anymore. Prophecy is harmful to our walk with God. Those people are ignorant. We need prophecy because we need peace and salvation in our lives. The prophecies are the proof of the gospel that frees us from sin. At this point, Pharaoh shares the two dreams with Joseph. And then he says in verse 24, here it is, And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. You know, the big contrast between Joseph and the magicians. The humble guy who's a Hebrew boy, a youth, who shouldn't have any credentials, know anything, has been working his life in a pit or a prison is in contrast to these great learned people who gave us hieroglyphic knowledge, advanced mathematics to build the pyramids and other things. They don't have a clue, but Joseph knows God, so he has the answers. And I'd rather be in the Joseph camp. How many of you would rather be in the Joseph camp? So let's align with Joseph in our mind. Friend, God doesn't give visions and dreams so people cannot understand their meaning. He didn't give us the book of Daniel Revelation so we would never get it. God gives visions and dreams so the prophets can explain them clearly and simply so that we common folk can understand them. You one thing I despise is hearing someone act so erudite and knowledgeable that they take the clear word of God and they make it difficult to grasp. That doesn't mean there aren't deep things in the Bible. There are deep things in the Bible. We should expound the Bible deeply, but it is clearly understood when God's Spirit is in play. When a humble student of the Bible has shared the simple and brilliant Word of God in the home of someone in need, that means they're using the Bible to evangelize people, revealing light from heaven that people need. While the smart in their own eyes, perhaps scholar types who don't bother with simple soul winning, who have pontificated on things of importance and blurred their meaning. I'm telling you, God will move in the home before he'll move in the hall of academics because God wants to see his word change lives. We've been told that people will take their Bibles at the time of the end. They'll move from home to home in small groups. They'll open the Bible and the light of God's word will illumine the world and Jesus will come. That's the kind of student of the Bible we must be. So who needs that kind of a teacher, an unbelieving teacher that always questions God's word? God's people don't need that kind of unbelieving teacher. We just don't need them. God wants his people to understand prophecy. And God sent a man to Pharaoh who was a humble Hebrew servant of the living God, to disclose the deep things of God to the most powerful man on earth. God sent a man. I pray that God will send a generation of Josephs, of young adults and youth to do the same thing in our day. May God send a man and a woman and more than this to save the world because the world needs it. Verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now, notice Joseph doesn't say that Joseph is smart. Joseph here affirms that God has the answers. I like that. The focus is not on Joseph, in Joseph's mind. Just as upper and lower Egypt is one kingdom, God has revealed to Pharaoh that the dream is one for all upper and lower Egypt and the whole world also. Joseph repeats himself in verse 26 like the prophets often do when they give the infallible word of God to the people. Have you noticed in the Bible it sometimes repeats itself? Say something, say it again. It's because we're hard to hear. God has to repeat himself because we don't get it easily. Look at verse 26. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. So repetition is in play here. Now I've been in school and my teacher would say, Mike, are you paying attention? You ever had that happen to you? Mike, you're daydreaming. I remember as a kid, I would daydream. They'd give him a lecture, I didn't hear a thing. Then they would say, let me repeat myself, and then you better sit up. Because when they repeat yourself, you're meant to get it. Right? In Deuteronomy 6, 4, Moses says that the Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yitzrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's a great verse in the Bible. Jesus says he's one with the Father in John 14. He affirms in John 17. Our God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. You know, these people are acting like the Trinity is a bad thing in our church. Don't know their Bibles, just ignorant stuff. You can't get to square one in salvation unless you get to the concept that God gave God to save the world. Christ was God, or the sacrifice of the cross is meaningless. Our God is one. And as a result of that, prophecy is not at war with prophecy because prophecy is one. There is a divine unity in the scriptures. One prophet will never counter another prophet to disagree with them so as to render the meaning of the other null and void. God does not work that way. The Bible you hold in your hand is the word of God. I'm going to hold my Bible in my hand. This Bible we hold in our hand has come to us in the last days intentional in its final form as the word of God. The word of God is one because God is one. And the Bible bears the character of its maker. God has delivered to us the Holy Scriptures with the divine unity that bears witness to the divine nature of God because our perfect God is one. In verse 27, Joseph continues with careful attention to the dream. We should pay careful attention to the dreams of the prophets just like he did. Look at verse 27. The seven lean and gaunt cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, I told you, Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Did you catch that? Prophetic dreams aren't some psychological working of the inner mind to show some neurosis or its origin. You know, when people say, well, that prophet had a dream because he got hit in the head with a rock. Nonsense. The dreams of God are profound. When they come to a prophet, they have profound significance. They should be studied and prayed over. They affect our lives when we understand them. When God gives a dream in Holy Scripture and the spirit of prophecy, God is showing us plainly that what God himself is about to do, that God is speaking to the prophets because God will act in our lives. We worship a God who knows what is going on. We worship a God who cares about our future. That's why the prophetic gift of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. Verse 29, the interpretation continues. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, the famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of that famine which will follow. for it will be very grievous, and the doubling of Pharaoh now catch this, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now don't go over that verse too fast. We often read the story of Joseph and we fail to understand that God has provided right here in this verse a very important principle of biblical interpretation for all prophetic dreams and all of prophecy. I was recently in a forum of scholars in our own church where one of our prominent scholars in the field of New Testament pontificated, that's what he did, that all prophecy in Daniel Revelation is conditional. And then he moved to the book Great Controversy to pontificate that the prophecies that affect the mark of the beast in Sunday legislation at the time of the interconditional, conditional, and they may not happen. Now I'm telling you, that's a major movement, a major slippage in the thinking of people who train pastors. And many there just went along with it like it was a profound thought from a great mind. It maybe should be accepted as new light, new truth. I was not impressed. Because I know exactly what the Bible is teaching because of Joseph's story here. You'll notice that these two dreams for Pharaoh are not conditional at all. It says it's certain. Do you catch that? Now how can we tell the difference between something that might be conditional and something that isn't? In fact, as I asked the question in that study committee, I said, do you think the 70 weeks of Daniel 9 that predicted the coming of Jesus' death on the cross of the year was conditional? He wouldn't answer that question. So how do you pick and choose? I'm going to show you. Joseph here delineates the prophetic principle of repetition as certainty. Did you hear what I just said? Joseph here delineates the prophetic principle of repetition as certainty. When a dream is repeated, it is fixed and certain. Friends, now think of the books of Daniel Revelation. Both the books of Daniel and Revelation conform to the principle of repetition than enlargement. Any student of the book of Daniel and Revelation will notice that it will repeat the same timeline prophecy in a different way. It's repetition and enlargement. Daniel 2 is repeated by Daniel 7. Daniel 2 and 7 are repeated by Daniel 8. Daniel 11, the king of the north, king of the south vision, repeats them all. This principle of repetition and enlargement. So both Daniel and Revelation are given to us as outline prophecies that are repeated just like Pharaoh's dreams and enlarged by this repetition. And according to Joseph, now here's the principle. This principle of repetition with its enlargement means that the prophecies are fixed and certain. They are not conditional. They will happen. So don't let anyone tell you that Daniel and Revelation are optional conditional prophecies. They don't know what they're talking about when they say that. They're misrepresenting the word of God as well. So I would rather let Joseph interpret prophecy for me than an unbelieving theologian who would render the word of God and the testimony of Jesus null and void of power for the people of God at the time of the end. The secret has now been unfolded in the dream. Joseph has spoken And Joseph asks Pharaoh to consider the choice of a leader, of a man of wisdom, who will take the word of God and act decisively and wisely with its truth. There is the need for a leader to act upon the word of God. It has moved from revelation to administration. Friends, we need men and women of God today who will act decisively and wisely and boldly with the truth and who will get it done, don't we? That's what we need. Verse 33, now therefore, Joseph is giving advice. Let Pharaoh select a man, discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. A great leader cannot be great unless there are loyal pastoral leaders, overseers, who will work with him and under him in like mind and heart, in observance to the vision of God. And so the power of a great leader must move from one to the many to be effective. Go to verse 34. Verse 34. Verse 34, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take the fifth part of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine, which are to befall the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Friend, when God moves on the prophets to unfold the meaning of the dreams, God moves on godly shepherds of the word of God to gather up the truth of the food of God's word for the people. Pastors should be Bible-believing, Bible-studying, Bible-sharing kind of overseers. And they can't gather it all at once. Sometimes it takes years to make a difference. Sometimes you have to really study a theme out in your life. You don't get it all at once. But the overseers that are godly ordained should never stop gathering the good food of God because the church of God is suffering for men and women of faith and knowledge who will share the food of God's word with the common people. Listen, we need to store up so much truth in our lives so that we have a reserve that we can rely on hard times in the time of trouble also. So we should be storied up food because rough times are ahead. It is true that we should ask, what did Jesus say? Give us this day What? Our daily bread. But you know, we should be saving some of that daily bread in our lives, storing up its meaning for the future for hard times. If there's no food from God, the people will perish. That's why Joseph told Pharaoh that he should save the food so people can live in the future. We should never think that the explanation and ministry of the prophets will be hard for kings and rulers to accept. While Joseph didn't boss Pharaoh around with the truth, Joseph nonetheless appealed to Pharaoh's power to reason with the evidence.
2: Let's continue now with Pastor Michael oxen Tenko in today's Reaching Your
1: Heart. That's what the prophets do, and that's what we should do as well. We should share the truth of the prophets with evidence. Look at verse 37. This proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a man as this, in whom is the Spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. I mean, I choke up when I read this verse. Joseph's life has suddenly turned around. Joseph is no longer in the pit of the prison. He has been promoted to power. Pharaoh doesn't talk about Amon-Ra the god Amon-Ra, Cyrus, Set, Horus, or any other god of Egypt here. Pharaoh has at this point become a believer in the one God who is revealed to him through Joseph that his dreams are one and that they matter as one because God is one. Pharaoh asks the wise question, can we find such a man as this in whom is the Spirit of God? That should be the criteria for choosing leaders in the church, the remnant church. That should be the criteria, not politics, not lobbying, not nonsense, not who you know, who you don't know. Is this man or woman filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Can they share the word of God? Do they value the truth of God? Will they lead God's people in faith? That should be the criteria. Someone shouldn't even be considered if they don't line up with that. When God calls a man or woman, he calls that person to be filled with the humble spirit of God. He calls on them to rely on the truth of the prophecies and trust God in his word for the answers. Now I'm going to tell you right now, I spend a lot of my personal time doing things that you would say, why is the pastor doing that? I'm not so high and mighty. I can't weed or vacuum or help out to clean the bathrooms or get on the roof with the young adults to change the HVAC things out. We are ultimately servants of God. We're not above the needs of the church just because we're leaders. So when God calls a man, he calls that person or woman to rely on the truth of the prophecies, trust God's word, to be a humble servant of God. Now, I'm not humble, so God puts me in a situation where I have to learn humility. Anybody relate to that? We have to learn humility. It's not easy for me or others. Only men like this should serve as administrators in the remnant church, people who have the spirit of God in them. So Joseph, at the age of 30, became second in command to Pharaoh. From pit to power... God led Joseph to wield the scepter over all of Egypt, but not for Joseph. It was for God and those who needed him that he served. Joseph was a servant leader. And Joseph, God sent a man. And we are living in a time when God must send a new generation of men and women who will value the word of God in this way. There is no time to play around in the church anymore. There's no time to have nonsense stuff occupying our attention. Men and women are starving for the life-giving knowledge of Christ and the prophecies for this time. Verse 31. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring, that's the ring of authority from his hand, and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He has not worn a fine garment since his brothers stripped him of his coat of many colors. In verse 43, and he made him to ride in his second chariot. Joseph would never think of doing that. He said, you get in this chariot and you coat beside me. I'm exalting you. You're not exalting you. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Again, I shiver when I read that story. What a dramatic reversal in this man's life same thing happened to Daniel at Belshazzar's feast. But unlike the story of Joseph, the king died because he was an unbelieving king. Pharaoh made it very clear that nothing would happen in all of Egypt unless Joseph directed it. No one is going to make a decision, Joseph, unless you are engaged with that decision. That's a lot of authority, isn't it? Joseph spent his entire life being humbled so he could handle that kind of authority. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, but not Joseph. And then Pharaoh renamed Joseph with a Hebrew name that described his journey from pit to power. Verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zapheth Athpaniah, And he gave him in marriage Asenoth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. As I've said before, I believe that Potiphar is Potiphar, personally. I agree with many of the ancient rabbis in the Midrash that this is the same person. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh named Joseph Zephoth, Zaphonoth Paniah. This name is almost a tongue tire. It's hard to pronounce, but it's full of meaning. This name relies on the Hebrew for the word Zaphon. We get the word the Melech Zaphon, king of the north, in Daniel 11. Zaphon has a root, Zaphan, a verbal root that means to, to hide. So the north is the hidden place. It means to hide. Zaphon means to hide. God comes from the north because he comes from the secret place. The name has three core roots in etymology. So this name, Zathathpaniah, has three Hebrew roots that have been combined. It's a Hebrew name. It's not an Egyptian name. And so he's not renaming him something that's pagan here. Zaphon, which means to hide. Nuach, which means to rest, like Noah. Noah's name means rest. It's the word Nuach. which means to shine or to be beautiful. All three of those are part of this. So let's put it into meaning. If we had to kind of summarize it into one sentence, it would go something like this. The name Zaphath Paniah means the one who was hidden by God, who has rested in God, and who shines as beautiful for God. That's Joseph's new name. The Bible says we will receive a new name one day. It would be the name that describes who we have become in character because of our faith in Jesus. That is what Joseph had become in his very challenging journey from pit to power. From pit to power, Joseph learned the lessons of humility and character so that when the time was right, he was the right man for the time. Joseph went over all the land to size it up and to put it to work in the most efficient way possible to save the world God sent a man from pit to power to save the world. God is sending a generation of young men and women who will be faithful to the word of God to save the world. Oh, that we would have more of them at this time. Jesus lived a humble life like Joseph and a bad kind of place like Joseph. There's a connection between Jesus and Joseph. In Luke 3.23, Jesus was 30 years of age when he began his ministry to save the world. Joseph was also 30 years old when he went out to save the world, to look over all the land of Egypt. In many ways, Jesus is the new Joseph, sent by God to save the world from the famine of no food. In the desert land of the devil's land, Jesus has given us the bread of life like Joseph did. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, And he went through all the land of Egypt. From pit to power, Joseph is free. God sent a man to save the world. Dear Father God, every one of us probably can remember a time in life when we fell into a pit. When it looked like we couldn't dig ourselves out, and then we got pulled out and we went in a direction we didn't want to go. And we didn't feel that you were in the journey, but we found that you were, even though we couldn't figure it out. And Father, it is not your will that any person be powerless in their walk with you, that somehow you lead us all from pit to power, to a vibrant life with Christ, one which is obedient, one which is not about us, but about others. And Lord, we learn painfully that the road is pain to get us there. Father, help us not to run from such a road. Help us not to fear the outcome. And Father, save every soul that's in the journey with you to find the way. And thank you for the story of Joseph that teaches us that you're with us all the way. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Thanks for joining us today for From Pit to Power. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Tanko. That will conclude this message. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland.